welcome to this week's edition of the Fat Tail Investment Podcast. We are going to be talking trading strategies today. And part of that is going to be taking a look at some of the quant tools that you can use to try and rip alpha out of the market. Uh, this is a very interesting topic for me because here at Fatal Research, we have access to different algos and momentum signals and such, um, which have their place as a strategy and can work. But I also see um, the ability for you and I to step into the market and actually be faster than those because a lot of them are built off uh, momentum strategies, trend following, that kind of thing. So when we get volatile markets like today, uh, well, in recently, I should say, not specifically today, uh, definitely there are opportunities uh, to step in uh, by yourself off your own judgment and make a move. Now, as an example of that, it's not too flash, but when we had the big sell down in January, I picked up some more BHP shares um, while the market was under stress, and they've come out today with a, a good dividend, and I think they're up about eight or nine percent. So, a, a very simple example there of how I've gone about it and trade, traded some volatility uh, in that instance. So, when we talk about ideas, a lot of people say, "Well, how do you come up with trading ideas?" Uh, and it's not always easy. Um, and, and I'll just, it just occurred to me, I'll just get Belvedere. I'll just run the footage from the, um, the editorial meeting the other day when, when the guys were asked how they were going finding ideas. Found anything yet? Nothing yet, sir. How about you? Not a thing, sir. What about you guys? We ain't found shit. So as you can see, like I say, it's not always easy. But having said that, it depends on the market as well. So what are some of the different strategies you, you can use? The big ones, the big categories, fundamental analysis, technical analysis. That depends on how you go about the approach. And we'll talk a little bit more about technical analysis later. Um, a favorite of mine, an old favorite, is looking at 52-week highs. Um, some people... Uh, can take that idea and, and, and finesse it in other ways, like 100-day highs or yearly highs, or the idea being that if a stock's pushing up uh, into new highs, then the market's pricing in good news to come. Um, but you have to be careful. You have to know what you're doing there, like anything. Uh, another strategy is the reverse of that, which is the idea of the dogs of the Dow, which was a concept. I can't remember the guy who came up, but he basically looked at uh, the you know worst stocks for the year in the Dow Jones index and and you know would back them to recover uh, sometime in the next 12 to 24 months so that can be one way to do about it other ways to get ideas um, teeing off commodity prices is a good one so if you're getting a very bullish run in say iron ore uh, or gold or nickel it doesn't really matter uh, what it is the relevant stocks should or usually rallying alongside the commodity price, um, depending on what the market has priced in previously. And then you, you can break it down into fun, uh, fun, producers, uh, explorers, developers, uh, which come with different risk scales. Of course, you can tune into different uh, fund managers as a way to get ideas. Often they'll put their ideas out there uh, when they're doing their uh, media presentations, that type of thing. And of course, here at Fat Tail Media, we have newsletters uh, devoted to different uh, sectors of the market. So for example, right now I work with Catherine Cashmore uh, covering the property cycle. 
with cycles, trends, and forecasts. So we give you an idea related to that every month as well, which has gone pretty well in the last uh, 12 to 24 months. But today we are talking quant trading. And the reason is my friend Matthew, who's coming on board, has got a wonderful charting package, which I use every day called Optima, which has so many tools it's off the scale. But he's going to tell us what he's been building and investing in in the last uh, 12 months or so that basically encapsulates 20 years of analysis of since he started the business uh, back in the 1990s and how he uh, goes about ripping alpha out of the market. So here's Matthew talking about contract. Matthew, welcome to the Fat Tail Investment Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. Excellent. Thanks, Callum. It's a uh, great pleasure to be here today. Now, I wanted to get you on because I want to talk about trading. Now, you yes. uh, have been in this business, building your business uh, since the 1990s, which is a yes. very long time. You mentioned that you're now building quant tools, which you, you have some through Optima, which is your charting uh, software, which is a very sophisticated program. Can you begin by describing your journey from the 1990s, how you started right, yes. to where you are today? <laughs> Long and arduous. Um, it, it's been a, uh, look, I, I think I've been incredibly blessed in so many ways because um, I think within a year of leaving university, I had a job as a software engineer and I, um, I come from a family of tradies and people that run their own businesses. So I'm the youngest of seven boys and all of my brothers at the time were running their own businesses. So it was just natural that whatever I did, I was just going to go into my own business at some point. So I started doing, you know, within a year, I started doing consulting, um, consulting to companies like, uh, I, I think, you know, GE uh, on one of their manufacturing plants in Dandenong. Um, I was doing printing for Hans Small Goods. So creating software that would print um, uh, production line boxes and things like that. So what was going on at that time was that I had a friend from the church that I was attending and he was trading um, spy futures and he wanted to have a strategy. Uh, he, he's been developing a strategy that he could use in the markets. Now, at the time I was between contracts, we were talking and I said, oh, I'll help you write up a bit of software to test how this works. And so, you know, little did I know at the time that it was a bit of an introduction to both technical analysis, the world of GAN, and also a, a quantitative model, because essentially we were doing what I now know as quantitative um, in that process. So went through and built all of that um, and looked at the results and, and looked at how it worked. And it was a, it was a great little strategy. Just let me jump in there just for the yep. Technical analysis today is very prevalent in the Aussie market. Yes. It's so it's much easier now, obviously, with a computer program than it would have been when they did the hand-drawn charts. Have you seen an explosion in interest in technical analysis since it became a software-based system? Definitely. I, you know, and I think that's the key of everything that, that we stand for as a company, and that is to try and make these tools and techniques more accessible to people than what they were in the past. So you're right, in the past, and, and again, even this gentleman who I was telling you about, when I went to his um, house, his garage was covered in these massive charts and he was doing all his analysis and he came up with his rules by just drawing on the walls of his garage 
with these massive charts because there really wasn't much else available in the early 90s um, to be able to do this type of analysis. Um, but then you go back further. So you, you talk about someone like W.D. Gann, and I've had the opportunity twice to sort of go through his original charts. Um, and it's, it's amazing. You know, he, he had an army of about 20 people in a back room just continually updating these charts for him so he could look at them and he could do his measurements and, and all those sorts of things. Now, that's what I would call a very subjective form of technical analysis because you're looking at a chart unless you're really sitting there and calculating that not everyone did that it was more looking at it looking at the patterns and saying ah i see a head and shoulders or i see this sort of um, consolidation pattern i'm expecting a breakout and there's there's nothing to say that that's not um, a relevant form of technical analysis and there's a lot of um, really good signals that can be made from that but when you come to trading not just one security like the SPY or something like that, but you're trading a whole basket of equities, you need to have computers. And I think that's what's made the big difference is that you can now not just follow a single market, but you can follow hundreds of markets because the software is doing the heavy lifting. And just for your own trading, when you began, did you have a, did you jump straight into technical analysis, that sort of trading, or did you have a period where you we're trying to be Warren Buffett or how did you come into the market? Well, for me, you know, I came more as the software engineer. So I think I was probably, um, I reckon it would be 2006 before I actually placed a trade in the market myself. Oh, wow. Um, so about 10 years later. And again, that's because I've come to this as a software engineer saying, I will build what, what people want me to build. And so it's funny actually, because the reality was when I first started the company, um, my goal was if I could just sell $10,000 worth of software, then I can go open a trading account and I'll trade this strategy. Um, but, you know, I love programming. I love solving problems. I love being told, you know, what you're trying to do is impossible and proving people wrong. And so um, I just I just love that part of it, the software. And so I just get wrapped up in it. Um, but when it came to uh, 2009, full honesty, my first trade was off a tip, which is terrible strategy, I know, um, but it was off a tip and it was a tip that worked really well. I think I made 40% on that single trade and uh, it was to do from a farmer who mentioned to me that fertilizer prices were rising and there was a company, I actually forget the name of the company now, that was one of the main producers and um, uh, that was a, a fantastic trade. But yes, those I sort of see those sorts of opportunities like winning the lotto, um, and it's not a strategy for ongoing uh, wealth building. Beyond that, then very much technical analysis, a mixture of GAN timing and um, looking at intermarket analysis and relative strength and those sorts of things. So you mentioned classical technical analysis. Yes. And then we've talked about quant. What exactly is the difference or are they complementary or do they does one lead to the other what what how do you see it well i've got a very holistic view to this now i because so some people look at this and say well i'm either a fundamental analyst i'm a technical anal analyst or i'm a quantitative analyst well i don't agree with that i actually think it's all one um quantitative analysis really is the automation of either fundamental or technical. Now, yes, there, there is a difference between fundamental analysis and technical analysis, 
but either of those can be the inputs to a quantitative process. So quantitative really simply is, let's just say I've got two average lines on a chart. You know, I'm averaging a 50 period and averaging a 200 period. Those lines cross and I say, hey, this may be a good signal in the market. Now, were I to just take that one event and say, um, you know, I, I look at history, you know, it, it happened maybe six months ago, I look at it, the market went up by 10%, happens again, I just go in and trade. That's not really a very good way of doing it because what I'm doing is I'm looking at one single event and saying, oh, I expect that to repeat. What I really need to do is go back through history and look at all the times that that happened and then analyze what happens to the market after that event has happened all the times in history. And when I've done that, then I start to build a quantitative model and I have a range of expectation. I think the equivalent is, is coming along and saying, walking out my door, seeing someone and seeing that they're six foot tall. And so I build this model and saying, well, that person was six foot tall, so every person I meet must be six foot tall. Well, you know, we know that that's not right. What I have to do is go and have a look at a lot of people, and the more people I look at, the better, I start to get an idea of the range of expectation, anywhere from four and a half foot to seven and a half foot. You know, that's the range. So when I go and meet somebody, well, they could be somewhere in the range, but there is probability that says they'll be around six foot tall because that's the average height. Same thing as when we have a signal like this. We're looking to see what the range of expectation is, what the signal. So that's really a quantitative process is doing that form of analysis. We've got a, a guy called Chewy at work who does algos, mm -hmm. and he talks about something called alpha decay. Does yes. the same sort of thing happen with quantals where there's an edge that you find, then the market sort of cottons onto it and it sort of is, is removed because it's sort of become obvious? Um, yes, it does. But I, I would have an interesting debate about whether the market cottons onto it. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I've seen the amount. So in the history of what I've done, I went in 2012 to the States, lived there for eight years, worked with lots of people on Wall Street. We have clients ranging from a mum and dad trader at home trading their savings through to a portfolio manager managing pretty much, you know, in the $50 billion worth. And so I see a range of what's going on. When we have an edge and we find a model that works, to think that the market cottons on and um, we lose alpha because of that, I, I don't know. I, you know, I find that one a little hard. Um, it'd have to be a really good system and, and the, and the, the drivers for a billion dollar portfolio are very different to a individual trader. Just, you know, just to jump in there for your experience yeah. with Wall Street, to what extent then are those guys running automated quant-based strategies, do you think, relative to your Warren Buffett style, yep. you know, I'm Mr. Experience and I know what's best. Uh, is it as prevalent as people think? Um, in the hedge funds, event. yes. In the hedge funds, definitely. So, you know, there are uh, huge hedge funds um, in the in the US. I, I've got one of our clients is a portfolio manager in one of those funds. And to get there, 
he comes with a model and it is a quant model. They will not accept discretionary trading at all. It's got to be quant. So you come in with a quant model, you present to the CIO, the, the chief investment officer of the company, and they're looking at all of this, the range of expectations, the drawdown, the sharp ratio, all of these metrics to see how good is this model. And then they give you $10 million to trade with. And you get to trade with that. And if you get good results for the first six months, they'll bring it up to $100 million. And then, you know, you can go up to five, $600 million. And a good portfolio manager in that sort of world basically keeps uh, nearly half the profit that they make um, in the hedge fund. That's right. I do remember now, the last time I spoke to you, I told you to get yeah. your job with one of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> Came up with the strategy. <laughs> I can right, make the introduction. Right. Okay, I'll work on it. <laughs> so, but th that's, the, that's the way they work. And so in the hedge fund world, yes, but the hedge fund is still, it's a higher risk, higher gain, higher risk. It's always going to be that, you know, efficient frontier of a balance between risk and reward. The pension funds and the mutual funds are much more conservative and they have the lion's share of the money. I would still say that they're still the majority and ETFs fall into that a little bit as well. Um, but there is so much money and their drivers are very different. So when there is, you know, one of our clients, um, they have a mandate, they have to be 90% invested at all times. So even when the market's crashing, they'll only go to 10% cash and they'll stay, 90% have to be in equities. Um, they, they're putting in billions of dollars into a position. So you can't go and, and say, oh, I think the moving average has crossed below, so I'm going to pull my billion dollars out of the market today uh, of Microsoft. You know, Microsoft would tank um, for that and they don't want that to happen. They would never get their price so what they're doing instead is just adjusting. So they look at um, the index, they look at the portion of shares that Microsoft has in the S&P 500, and then they try and, and balance that. And they go a little bit overweight when they're bullish on Microsoft, and they go a little bit underweight when they're bearish on Microsoft. And that way they beat the index, which is their benchmark, and uh, they still get decent performance. So when you go scale it down to your mum and dad style retail mm -hmm. trader, one advantage of that, I assume you agree, is that they're much more nimble. They can get in and out without, Correct. Yes. without any worry. Yeah, without shaking up the market. Do, do you still feel that they're, that they're generally discretionary traders rather than comp-based? Well, the discretionary comes down to the form of analysis. So... Um, Anything could be quant. So I can look at something which is completely impossible to computerize. But so long as I can define the rules um, and I can then go back and measure the times that has happened in the past and I can look at what's happened. So if I have a rule, I can go back and see, oh, this rule happened in 1987. Well, what happened to the market after this event happened? And then I measure that return and I compare it and I average up the returns and, and those sorts of things. By doing that, I'm becoming quantitative. So you can't be quantitative in a discretionary rule. A discretionary rule just means that I can't program a computer to actually execute that for me because it takes a bit of discretionary analysis on my behalf. It's interesting. I remember there was a quant guy in the paper. So when 
uh, COVID collapsed the market, his system triggered to buy all the travel stocks because it was like history says yes. when they fall X amount yes. of yes, uh, yeah, and he's like, stop, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> Don't buy the travel stocks, yes, yes. So the, there is that sort of human discretion overlay yep. that you're always going to need. Would you say that's fair to say? Look, definitely. And there's there's got to be those sorts of events. And and I think, you know, coming back to uh, what you were saying about a decay in alpha, I think this comes down to an understanding of the phase of the market we're in. So we can have a strategy that works when we are in a massive secular bull market. So similar to what we are now, there are strategies that work really well under a bull market. As soon as we roll over into a bear market, those strategies aren't going to work anymore. And that's the type of thing which I, I think we can often look at and say, oh, it's, it's a decay of alpha or, you know, it's just not working. But it's understanding that we have phases of markets. We have times when bonds are performing better than equities. And under those strategies, maybe an equity model doesn't perform quite as well. But it, it's not to say that, oh, well, we should shift all our money to bonds, rather to say that we need to understand what's going on with the economy as an overlay for any type of analysis, any type of models that we're creating. Uh, and then they help us know the environment that we're in and whether we should just flick that model off and say, this one works great, secular bull market, we've gone into a bear market, this one goes on the shelf and we'll pull it back off when we, we go back into a bull market again. When we talk about Optima, so this is the mm -hmm. software that you've built, which has just like a, a crazy amount of tools and things that you could <laughs> do with it. Um, as yet, as far as I know, it doesn't, you don't give a, like an advice based uh, service, is it right? Like Not I at this come, stage. I, I mean, I check it every day, my package, and I go through my yep. charts, my watch list, all the yep. things that I look at. Do you have a higher level? Uh, Not at this are stage. Are you building towards that? Well, yes, we are building towards that. Um, my The whole ethos behind what I've been doing is to say, I will build the best tools for people to use, but it, it relies on a level of education and understanding to use those tools. I'm not going to tell people how to interpret the signals. I'm not licensed to do that. Um, not in Australia anyway. Um, but what we will do is give the very best tools we can. Now, we are shifting um, into that, and that's a, a lot of the work that I'm doing. I'm in a heavy programming phase at the moment with our development team on rebuilding a lot of this to make it easier. And I think the catalyst for all of that was I, I was presenting to a group of um, portfolio managers in Wall Street. and. One guy who I knew and, and respected immensely, and he was managing, I think he was just under a billion dollars he was managing, um, and he came up to me after the event because I was showing them the quantitative tools we were building that allowed you to find a signal and then see all of the quantitative results on it. You know, what's the probability of gain? What's the, you know, the Monte Carlo analysis around it? How it performed and, and how much alpha you could expect on average. And he came up to me afterwards and said, that tool's great. It's amazing what you've done, but I don't have time to do this type of work. What's the best um, model you've seen? And I was absolutely floored because he was a guy I respected. Um, I expected him 
to say, this tool's great, this will allow me to research all of these ideas. But all he really wanted was signals. And so we have <laughs> like been- Like everybody else. <laughs> like everyone else. And so I've been looking at this and saying, okay, I've been, you know, maybe a little deluded in thinking that everybody wanted to do the work. Um, and now I'm sort of understanding that, yeah, no, that's just crazy old me who uh, is too fascinated with all of this stuff. Do you, do you find that these tools, everything that you do work better in the US market? The US market is so big, so liquid. Sometimes when I look at the Aussie market, like the, the small cap sector is so illiquid. I don't know what the word is, but there's just not the liquidity yeah. and the same yep. sort of often the momentum and that type of thing. Do you think, so does it work better in the US and Australia? Look, it's got to be a fungible market. You know, that's one of the, the basic rules of, of any type of technical analysis. If it's not fungible, if it's not in a um, stable legal jurisdiction, then technical analysis is very questionable because there are too many outside influences that can vastly um, affect price. So, you know, it's really important. And so when you've got a big liquid market, millions of people trading this all with different um, outcomes, you know, when I go to buy and someone's selling, it's not that one is a winner or a loser. It's purely that, you know, the market may be going up, but for the person who's sold it, they've already made their 20, 30, 40% on that, and they see a better opportunity somewhere else. Um, so, you know, you've got so many people, you really need liquidity. You really need a lot of participants, um, to have a stable market to do analysis on. Just, just out of curiosity for me, the, the ASX mm. since August last year has really done absolutely nothing. Mm. Yeah. Have, has your system found opportunities within that range? Because there are individual opportunities and sector stuff that can happen, uh, in the last six months. Well, you know what? I haven't even looked. <laughs> um, so I, I tend to watch the US more than I do on the Aussie market. Um, I'm sure that they would be there. So one of the the models we created is one called Optex Bands. And oh, I mean love those. Yeah, I use yeah. those. So it's a mean reversion um, based on Steidlmeier's market profile. Um, and it's, a, it's just a great little tool that highlights and says, it's very similar to what you were saying about the um, travel stocks. This stock is way down, much more than statistically should be, and there could be a good opportunity here. Um, so I'm and sure there's plenty that's of just, those. Sorry, I'm cutting you yes, off there, but when right. things are volatile, yes. that can really come into play because then yes. you're like, hang on, this is oversold, that famous yes. word. Correct. But it's um, volatility adjusted, that tool. So even with oh, really? it is. So um, uh, because it's using ranges of previous moves, that defines your volatility. And so when we get down into the third standard deviation away from the expectation, we say we are now in, a, in the realm of it is far more likely to go back up than it is to go down. Now, it always fails on the very top of the market. So there's, there's always that, you know, the top of the market happens and we start going down it triggers, but then it keeps going down. Um, although sometimes there's usually a short little uh, retracement uh, as, as that's happening. Um, so yeah, but it's a great tool. There's always opportunities with that. But again, I've been 
probably spent the last um, year, so since I moved back to um, Oz in 2019, um, I've been very much on heavy programming. So I haven't been watching the markets quite as much as I normally would do. Well, it's um, it's interesting to me. So essentially with your quant or any sort of quant thing, basically you're going to accept certain amount of losses, right? And it's just yeah. you get yep. those you take a hundred yep. trades, you know that whatever the yep. percentage is, sixty percent will go up, forty go Correct. down. But as long as you cut off the ones that go down and you let yep. the ones that's basically what you you're trying to do, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, it, it all comes down to the numbers in the end. So um the I'm having an absolute brain fade on his name. There was a Bell engineer in the 1940s, it'll come to me in a moment, who created this model for signal analysis where he, they, they were trying to measure how much power did they need to put into a signal for it to transmit across long distances. Based on signal noise, they knew the ratios that sometimes the signals wouldn't get there, but on average, they wanted to get that signal through the wire. That then went on to become used in gambling, and it goes on to something that we now teach at a professional level in the CMT program around how you do this type of um, position sizing and things. So, so it's really coming down to saying, we know we're gonna lose. There's, there's gotta be losses. If, if you can't handle a loss, don't trade because you have to be willing to accept losses um, in your results, but you need to know the math and you need to have confidence that if I do this again and again and again, I'm going to get um, positive results. So the, the upshot of all of that was he developed this thing called the risk of ruin. And if you go searching for risk of ruin tables and things like that, on a one-to-one -one basis, if you're getting 60% right, and your reward is equal to the risk that you'll accept on that trade, then um, you'll never go broke. You, you'll always <laughs> Just be- the, the guy that you're thinking of, it's not Edward Thorpe, is it? No, but Edward Thorpe used the material. There was someone else- Ah, right. Kelly so Formula, Kelly. Oh, His name was Kelly. Yeah, no, it was Kelly. Kelly Formula is, is what this is based on. Um, Just in terms of people, coming on board to the market. So I read um, a book recently and the guy, his impression was that people come to trading, maybe they go, okay, maybe they don't, but they generally fall away after a period because they realize how difficult and challenging and, and how much it demands. What do you see with, with your client base? Do you have professional people that are doing it every day or are they people who are, can't go to work and then they try and trade on the side or, and then obviously you have your, your literal fund manager. Do, do people stay with us, with us? Like, do they stay in the markets for long periods of time or do they come, go, come back, that sort of thing? Yep. I, look, I've got a, um, a group of, you know, I think it's probably about 100 people now who have been with me for well over 24, 25 years um, using the software. It's, it's a really interesting position I sit in because we work with a number of education companies and you know, in doing that, I get to learn about their styles. I, I see what they're teaching their clients and, and how that, that all works. And, and we don't really do teaching. I teach at CMT level. So that's people who are going for the chartered market technician designation. 
Um, but that's all. I don't do any other teaching at this stage. Um, but when I look at the education groups and how they teach, one of the things that has really stood out to me is that I can see how long their students stay using our software. Now, people can go and use other software and, and things like that. So it's not a 100% not correlation between, oh, that must be a good educator and, and these people mustn't be because people don't last. But what I've noticed is the educators that teach their clients to look at the markets once a week are the ones where those people stay in the business for years and years and, and now decades. As opposed um, to day trading. As opposed to day, day trading is a waste. And honestly, you may as well just put your money in a bucket and set it on fire. <laughs> um, you know, and, and because you can't understand the trends, there is so much noise. All you're doing is trading noise. There are no trends. The, the overall trend of the market doesn't exist on a day chart. Um, and yes, you're going to find a couple of people who are successful. But, and it's unfortunate and, and it breaks my heart because I see people all the time throw away their life savings thinking that it's going to be different for me. No, it's not. You may be the exception, but highly unlikely. You know, and that's what really bothers me. And that's why people leave the market uh, because they... Well, they, they get taken they, out is what you're saying. Well, they really. get taken out, you know. And often when you... It, it comes down to a function of your capital as well. If the capital that you have to invest is too small, well, then you can't handle having multiple positions on long-term trades. And so you're stuck down at, at, at that. But honestly, it really is... I, um, yeah, I, I think you get the idea. It, from what I see, I've just seen so many people blow themselves up and they never last. So in if someone's listening to this and they're curious about the market, yes, with all your experience, do you tell them to go and study a certain book or a certain guy or come to you and get your software? And had, what, No, software is not the first general... place. Um, you know, so definitely coming to us would be a complete waste um, of time until you're educated uh, and you know what you want to do. Um, the, the, the person who I would send everybody to who was just getting started um, would be someone like Alan Oliver, a Aussie guy. He has a free service called the Fibonacci Trader. So trading um, with GAN is his website. Um, and honestly, he has a what I love about Alan is that he teaches something and then he continually follows it up with um, videos on a weekly, bi-weekly basis, that type of thing, giving examples. So great guy. I just think he's one of the, the very best educators out there. And then when you want to get a little more serious, a little more professional about your approach, there are other people like Wealth Within um, out of Melbourne that, that are really good at it. And then it's following, you know, the newsletters that you guys do. You know, and it's understanding just the the real estate cycle, the bigger economic picture, and understanding how that overlays into your trading, and just realizing that opportunities that work today will not work all the time in the future. Well, it's interesting too because anyone who's running a self managed super fund or that type of thing, I know I saw feedback, and a lot of people don't really want to manage their own money, but they feel like the financial institutions and that aren't really doing great by them. 
Um, Tell me about it. I tried so, to move a uh, my super in um, March 2020 because we saw the opportunity to move everything from international into Aussie stocks, and it took ages for that to get executed. I don't, well, I just set up my full self-managed. Yes, yeah, nightmare. The whole the paperwork involved. In it. Oh yeah. Um, but what you're talking about those long-term positions where you try to find the trend and you ride it while it's there. You look for opportunities very, within the trend. Yep. Yeah, effective way to manage uh, what can be a substantial amount of money. Yep. Uh, and that type of thing. All right. Well, that's great. So I just want to touch on one final point. So we have a guy called Gary Norton who came yes. on the show. He loves nothing better than to bag technical analysis. <laughs> and by the way, he's a day trader. <laughs> um, in what would you say to him in defense of technical analysis or a guy like him? Not specifically. Well, it, it's interesting because what often happens, and I, and I remember being at one of the traders expos back in the, in the late nineties, where we were um, showing software. I had a couple of guys, they were obviously, this is in Sydney and they were working for one of the banks or something like that. And they were coming in sort of scoffing and laughing at the charts and like technical analysis, what a load of rubbish. Um, and, you know, that really bothered me. And so you know, I've, I've dwelt on that for many years afterwards. The problem is, you know, they're pointing to things on the chart and saying, oh, it doesn't work, didn't work there, didn't work here. And that is because, A, I think as technicians, we've made a, a mistake ourselves by saying, look at this pattern, be it head and shoulders, be it a breakout, this is what happens and this is what the market's going to do. Whenever we say this is going to happen, there is always going to be cases where it doesn't. And I think that's why the quantitative process is so important because it allows us to talk in a language of probability rather than absolutes. And I think that's where the biggest criticism and justified criticism of technical analysis comes from is that we talk in absolutes way too often, where everything is a range of probabilities and we're looking for edges. And it doesn't even need, like the whole risk of ruin concept says, we don't need to have a massive edge to be profitable um, in the market. And then there are other people who have an innate sense of what's happening in the market. You trade a market, even if you are trading real time, you trade a, a single market, be a future, be it a currency, and you all you've done for years is trade that market. You have an innate sense on what's happening and you can see things that other people can't see. So is technical analysis the only way? Absolutely not. There are, there are definitely um, other ways that you can follow the markets and see some fantastic results. But for the majority of the people, looking for a small edge in the market, I, I think it's a fantastic way of achieving that. Um, and there's a lot well, of just, different Just to summarise, and, and I'd hmm. encourage anyone listening, if you are interested in charting or software, Optima is fantastic. As I say, I, I've, I use it every single day. When are we going to see what you're working on now come to fruition? I reckon we will see it. You know, this famous famous words from a software developer who thinks it can be done in six months and it ends up taking five years. Um, I actually think that in 2023, we'll start to see um, these tools. So the, the big drive for everything we do now 
is making everything accessible web-based. And so, uh, so for instance, you know, a lot of my clients in the US, especially at the professional level, we use Bloomberg as their primary um, data charting solution. Um, what we're looking at is saying, how can we make Optima a great adjunct to what they do? And so we're looking at, at those and, and having this quantitative analysis and finding better ways to take what is normally discretionary and make it um, very much subject, uh, uh, objective with um, a, a quantitative process. And so programming those sorts of things in. Um, we'll start to see the first elements of that towards the end of 2022 and into 2023. And then, you know, I expect to be continuing to develop in this area for the next 20 years. So uh, I'm probably only halfway through what I'm trying to build. So uh, for a long time. <laughs> just just to finalize it, you've touched on a guy called WD Gann a few times. Yes, in yes. Most people won't know who he is. Do you think his methodology could ever be quant-based? There are elements of it that we do already. So his swing chart technology, swing charts are amazing. His model, so, you know, you can have point-based swing charts where the market, you know, it, it, let me take a step back. So a swing chart basically just looks at trend. Is the market going up? Then I have a line going up. When we get to a point where the trend changes, there's a line going down. And so we can look at these charts and we can see nothing but trend. We don't care whether it was over a week, whether it was over a year. We just have one line showing that the trend was up. And then we create those charts. Um, they're an incredible way, especially his rules, because his rules look at relationships of the individual days or weeks or months to, to build them. And it's a really great way of doing that analysis. Now, you go back to one of Gann's contemporaries, um, Dow, as in Dow Jones. So he was a journalist in the late 1880s, um, and he would write in the um, paper about how um how the investments were going he was the first person to create an index that we know of and so he would do these averages and he had these rules and the things that he talked about was never trade against the trend so even if you are a day trader if the underlying daily trend is up then you should only take long trades you should never trade against what the prevailing tra um, trend is uh, it's like having a a, a tailwind behind you when you when you trade with the trend. But Gann um, had those strategies. He had lots of other Gann-based. He even went into some very esoteric realms. I think he was just a curious guy that was looking for things that could correlate with how the markets moved. Um, and some of those things can be um, programmed, and we've got a lot of those already done. Um, there are others that I've got lots of notes and when I come back to in the future uh, when I get some more time. All right. We'll, we'll leave it there. But, um, yeah, I'm very curious to see, uh, to get you back on again, maybe get into yeah. the again, again. And we'll chase up those two guys that you mentioned too. To see yeah. They want to yep. Yeah, All right, definitely. Mate, it's been a pleasure. And, again, if you're listening, do check out. Is it just Optima.com? Optima.com, yep. Yep. Uh, and you can uh, see if that works for you. So thank you very much. No worries. Thanks, Callum. 